Hey, I'm Danny Heifetz, host of the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. Me, Danny Kelly, and Craig Horlbeck are coming to you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday before this NFL season so you can crush your draft and win your league, or at least make sure you don't come in last place and have to do your league's punishment. Follow the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall chosen by champions. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome to the Ringer F1 Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Megan Schuster. I will be your host today, and we are here to discuss the always fast, always wild Italian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen wins his 10th straight race, taking sole possession of the F1 record for most consecutive wins. Sergio Perez comes in second, and the initial race leader, Carlos Sainz, takes third place. The rest of the top 10 is Charles Leclerc, George Russell, Lewis Hamilton, Alex Albon, Lando Norris, Fernando Alonso, and Valtteri Bottas. There is lots of undercut strategy to discuss. Another Nico Rosberg jinx on the books, uh, this time on Ferrari, unfortunately. And I am joined to break it all down by Spanners Ready. Spanners, how are you doing? How's it going, Schuster? Yeah, pretty good. I did enjoy my my evening, my afternoon's viewing, uh, morning for you guys watching the Italian Grand Prix. It's definitely a feature of the F1 calendar. I think it's the only Grand Prix that's been in every F1 season. It's the festival of speed. It's got things I I don't like about it in the more modern layout. And it's mm-hmm. certainly a Grand Prix where you go, okay, this is going to be at least different from the other races. It's going to shuffle the order a little bit, depending on the characteristics of each car. It is essentially five rocket launches and, and five big <laughs> stops. And then you've got the parabolica hairpin at the end. Uh, but it's it's definitely a, a positive on the F1 calendar. And it's a chance to kind of go, okay, they are flat out. These mm-hmm. are blimmin' fast race cars going very fast. Yeah, I was trying to describe this race to somebody over the weekend and was explaining it like, you know, they're basically going flat out for 75% of the lap, going somewhere around 200 miles an hour more often than not. And yeah, it's just, it's thrilling kind of like hair raising stuff. If, if you're watching it, um, yeah. we have a lot of negative stuff to dig into perhaps, but first I'd like to start with Red Bull because we all maybe have a little bit of Red Bull fatigue, but what Max Verstappen and what this team as a whole is doing this season is, is truly wild and, and really deserves to be discussed. I think more than yeah. we maybe want to. Um, so Max 10 wins in a row, Red Bull, 
15 straight wins going back into last year. The last non-Red Bull winner we've seen on the F1 circuit was George Russell in Brazil last year, going back to November, which is pretty wild when you when you think about that, almost 10 months ago. Um, Red Bulls had 14 wins this year. The current record for most team wins in a season is Mercedes in 2016. They had 19 wins. Granted, that was only a 21-race season, so somewhat shorter than what we're getting this time around. But I've, I'm reaching the point where I'm just expecting Red Bull to win every race. And yeah. for a very long time, I thought, oh, we'll get some weird mechanical failure. Max maybe will spin out or something strange will happen. And we'll get one random Fernando Alonso podium or something like that. But it, it, I feel like we're past that point. And I just kind of feel like this is the end. <laughs> Am I alone? <laughs> no, no. Hey, look, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm really enjoying the Verstappen dominance now. So oh, mm-hmm. while we talk about this, how about a sip of champagne from this lovely FIA gift basket that has arrived on my door? So the oh. FIA are, are really, really pushing at the moment the narrative that the dominance now is a good thing. Appreciate mm. watching excellence, appreciate watching the records being broken, and they're really, really leaning into that. And so you can see accredited F1 outlets are all pushing the same story. So there's been a dozen stories from from that kind of that circle of press that have gone, actually, do you know what? It's just <laughs> occurred to me of my own volition that maybe this is a really, really great and positive thing for F1. And I think the FIA uh, don't have a choice for the rest of the se- season from a yeah. PR point of view, because it's, it's not going to change. They're not going to throw some big thing in to nerf Red Bull before the end of the season. The thoughts have got to be for next season now. So that's mm-hmm. where the PR is going. And if anyone from the FIA is listening, I have <laughs> very low uh, morals and standards. I am completely <laughs> bribable. It won't even take that much. Is that, is that an FIA gift basket I see from you, Megan, in the background? What? No? What? What no? are you talking about? No, 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 no. <laughs> that background was supposed to be blurred spanners. My bad. My yeah. bad. So, uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think they could just win every race this season. But the the key point, I mean, you were talking to me before the show, was the reliability. Mm -hmm. And that's not always been the case for previous champions. That will have helped that run. The 10 races in a row is is somewhat meaningless. It could have been, they could have had one DNF five races ago, and Mm -hmm. this run would be no less extraordinary. In fact, what did you say that since Brazil? Last, last season, year. that was the last non-Red Bull win. Perez yes. was winning races this season as well. So really, the fact that it's 10 consecutive ones is a bit of a statistical anomaly. That doesn't excite me much. I think it's much more impressive how much they've dominated the entire season. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think the reliability is maybe the most fascinating part to me that uh, during all of these developments and all of this time, when they're continuing to try to push, continuing to try to maintain that gap over, you know, a, a surging Mercedes, a Ferrari team that is, you know, did well this weekend, I think better than I was expecting them to do this weekend, um, to maintain a car that is just able to go out and get it done week after week is is fascinating. And also to see the drivers evolve a little bit too, because I felt like Max showed more patience today than I normally expect from him. And and, and granted, this is a grain of salt, right? Because he only had to sit behind Carlos Sainz for about 15 laps. So in the grand scheme of patience, this is not <laughs> all that much. It probably was 20, 20-ish minutes of him being patient. But, you know, in, in laps, years yeah. past, in years past, we would have seen him push it. We would have seen him get into an accident. We would have seen him spin out onto some gravel and take an unnecessary chance when he has the faster car. 
what in years past we might have seen if he got pushed a little bit wide on turn one, <laughs> him decide to keep his foot in and land on top of another car. So we saw that in 2021. It's a very hypothetically. We saw it. It was on telly, Meg. I know. I know. So we saw him doing that under extreme pressure today. This season, he's not under the same pressure. He absolutely knew, you know, he was saying on the radio, yeah, I can see the rears going. And that proved to be, you know, exactly correct. When the overtake did come, it was exactly from that out of turn two, you could see the rears were gone. Suddenly they went off a cliff and Verstappen could get up alongside. And that followed up from like a lockup as well, going down into turn one. That was a really good, good try from signs. I, I really felt like that defense, it was, it was good. Mm-hmm. Verstappen was putting on pressure. He was being sensible. It wasn't ultra defensive. And uh, we did have a little bit of a battle there. And, you know, th- there was perhaps a half a sniff, a chance that maybe Ferrari could have done something with that, that double team. And we can go into that in depth if you want. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's a very different Max Verstappen this season. The way he completely just yielded out of turn one, that, that would change if he was under pressure again. If he was in a championship fight, I don't yes. think we see him do that. I, I think that's true. I, I also liked today that the DRS was slightly less effective because it did kind of give us those battles between the Ferraris and the Red Bulls, both with Max and with Checo. It seemed like they weren't able to just kind of stream streamline past everyone going down the straights. They did have to kind of maneuver a little bit with the braking going into turn one and and figure some things out. Whereas on other tracks, I feel like we just see them slingshot past cars and it's never really much Mm. of a fight. Wouldn't it be good if DRS somehow magically (laughs) stopped working as soon as you got front wing to front wing? Can you Mm. imagine the Mm. battles you would get? So yeah, get a bit of DRS to get you alongside, but then you've got to fight. And the car that's being overtaken knows that, so can pick their track position based on when when that advantage is going to disappear. And people always say, oh, yeah, it would be dangerous to have the DRS cancel. I don't agree. I think that would be fine. You get your DRS open. As you pull alongside, you know the DRS is going to deactivate and you know you're mm-hmm. going to lose that advantage. And then you've got to work for it. And then it's down to, did you get good positioning? And if you manage to make the pass and you kind of don't need the DRS, then then that's not a factor either. So it would get rid of these pure just DRS passes. Even with Hamilton on the hards having not pitted, surely there should be an opportunity for someone, even a pit stop down, not a lap down, but a pit stop down to say, do you know what? I'm going to defend into this corner a bit and not just have them breeze past. Yes, agreed. Agreed. Uh, I was just going to ask your opinion on turn one, because you know I'm a big kind of anti-chicane person. I think this is one of the worst chicanes in Formula One. (laughs) I was, I wanted to ask, actually ask yours. So I will give mine first. It is a notoriously tricky corner. And I think the fact that I found most telling today was that the announcers were sort of praising the entire field for collectively getting through that first corner together without any accidents or anyone going horribly off track. The fact that that was um, eye-opening to them and exciting to them was a a little bit disappointing to me. And I think showed just how often that corner is a problem. We saw a ton of cars today need the runoff area, some due to lockups, some just trying to avoid collisions because that racing line is so tight and does not offer room for two cars to go through there wheel to wheel. Like it just, it doesn't. 
unless, you know, both drivers are being incredibly kind to one another and, and trying to give everyone space, which no one is trying to do in that corner. It, it did um, happen. It did happen once. It did happen with uh, Albon and Hamilton. So Albon knew his tyres were going. I think he always mm-hmm. knew that he was sort of hanging on in there. Hamilton had the, the fresher mediums. And so Albon did give a lot of room as they went side by side. And we had Norris hilariously admitting that with, with Albon, when Albon was kind of forced, half forced off and went to the runoff, Norris then he said, I slowed down into turn two and made sure that I sort of did a, a pretend leaving of room on the inside <laughs> to make it look like I was racing respectfully. It's just such a, it's such a mucky, messy corner. And I, I, I hate the kind of racing that those chicanes there, like the second uh, or, or the final chicane at Imola, all these like real safety slowdown chicanes where they've said this straight is too long and dangerous. Therefore, we're going to put a chicane in. Uh, you know, you, you could get more inventive. It could be a bit more of a kink if you want them to slow down. But these chicanes are, are always messy. And the outside car can always make it look like they should be entitled to room, even though they, they, they're not. You know, you can really hang it out in on the outside and then and then you, you shouldn't really be on the outside by then because the corner's gone. The inside car takes up the line into turn two, and then the outside car can then fly off into the runoff and go, oh, mm-hmm. I was forced off. Oh, yep. I can't believe it. I definitely would have managed to hold it into turn one without wiping out the car on the outside of turn two, by the way. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't have done. You know, they, they go in there and, and then it's just a mess and it always has to be sorted out by the steward. If you're going to have something like that, then let's just have very easily repa- replaceable polystyrene walls a meter out from that corner. So it's really, really clear when someone, you know, goes off. It's a disincentive to do it. And and just, you know, I would say, you know, a concrete wall because that would solve it completely. You know, they would never wow. do that. They would never keep that in their pocket. But I don't like walls. You could have gravel there, I suppose. But then every little tiny mistake robs us of another car on the grid. So I hate that chicane and I wish it would burn. It does Safely. invite... Safely burned, safely burned. It does invite a lot of gray area, which I think is the part that I hate the most. I think the point that you hit on with it all eventually coming down to the stewards, you know, everyone is getting noted going through that corner. Everyone is getting noted for, oh, he pushed me off. Let me get on the radio and complain to my team, even though I actually locked up going through the corner and I'm hoping that, you know, maybe they'll think we were close enough that it wasn't actually my fault and was their fault. And it just invites a lot of complaining, which is one of my least favorite things in Formula One. So um, <laughs> it, it would be it would be fascinating to see that open up even just a little bit more so that you're still getting yeah. a fight going through that corner, but it's not quite so tight and so, you know, nose to nose and wheels hitting sides of side pods of cars and and all of that jazz. Or just open up the runoff and let them fight all the way down to turn three. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's make 90% of the track flat out. That sounds actually An great. Oval. I would Let's have that. a Monza <laughs> oval, Meg. Uh, We're just exactly making like NASCAR that. now. We're making NASCAR. But that's that's okay. We could we could have one NASCAR race. Interesting note. I went to watch some short oval racing here in the UK in Ipswich in Foxhall. Really, really entertaining. All from like uh, uh, real bangers that just wreck each other all the way up to like GT sports cars, uh, Brifkas F1. Um, and, and then also some legends. So the short course legends that you have in the US. And I just found it really interesting that all the British cars went round clockwise. And then when the legends came on, they were like, nope, it's a US car. We have to go (laughs) anti-clockwise. So they went the other way. But Monza will be the the correct way. Ah, correct way. Sure, sure, sure. 
Um, let's get into the home team a little bit. You alluded to them maybe not having the soundest strategy coming out. They have they sandwich Max Verstappen in the beginning. Carlos Sainz has a great start and manages to hold Max off coming off off the first lap, which is I think the most critical thing is if you just let Max out and let him run, then he's just gone. So Carlos is in pole, Charles is in third, they sandwich Max, and then they have Checo behind. So you have a lot of interesting strategies with the undercut that you can play with, trying to finagle, you know, the different lap times and things. And at at this point in his run, I don't know that there's much of a chance that you keep Max behind for very long. I think Carlos did, did his darndest to keep him back there as long as he could. He was really pushing hard on his tires, which I think was maybe what did him in the quickest today. But Considering how lost Ferrari looked in Zandvoort last weekend with Carlos finishing fifth, Charles DNFing, and just looking off the pace all weekend, I had very low expectations for them coming in. And I came out relatively relatively pleased with a, a third and fourth place, even though I think ideally for them, they probably would have wanted to try to get second and third. So something to shape all of these conversations going forward is just how different Monza is to most of the European tracks. So I know we talked about a lot about unrepresentative tracks at the beginning of the season. So you can lump street tracks with their various characteristics, differing levels of grip and, you know, walls and such like you can, you can kind of say, okay, some cars, some drivers will be better to suited to that kind of 90 degree kind of track where, whereas Monza has a, a specific set of circumstances that the other tracks don't have. So it's a lot more straights. Into, it's basically three long straights. It's, well, it's one long ring. It's one long oval interrupted by three chicanes and then Parabolica, the final right-hander. So that's a very, very different setup to the rest of the tracks. The only track that comes close to needing such a low downforce setup is Spa. Uh, but this even then goes like another step. So they tend to use, I think they use the same rear wing, but then they go to the, the lowest possible setting. So that is going to suit a bunch of of different cars and a bunch of different cars are going to you, you know have an advantage here. So Williams, this is the track they've been waiting for all season because all season really they've been struggling with uh, downforce, getting the downforce bolted on using their wind tunnel to to give them that ultimate kind of cornering grip. But they have been very efficient down the body, so they make very low impression as they cut through the air and therefore are very fast in a straight line. And that's not always how you want to be in Formula One. If you look at, you know, 2013, that's a really good example of high downforce for your race pace lap time with Red Bull and Vettel versus, say, uh, Mercedes, who were getting pole position in nearly every race and by a long, long way. But Lewis Hamilton was there in every interview saying, we need more downforce. So what you can gather from that is, yeah, they had an efficient car, they had speed, they had mechanical grip, but they weren't able to uh, manage the tyres by just getting them planted into the ground. They were sliding around a lot and, and they'd be losing in the race. And actually Williams find themselves in a slightly less good version of that. So here at a track with very few corners, most of the braking is in a straight line down into a chicane. A lot of their disadvantage from not having the downforce is gone. And in fact, it's an advantage and they were able to, to maximize that, get themselves up the grid. So whilst it might sound like I'm, I'm diminishing Williams, I'm not. If you remember, my analysis of Williams from Zandvoort was procedurally, procedurally, they got everything absolutely correct. And they did mm-hmm. it again in qualifying. They were just bang on and they just yes. maximized 
that qualifying performance. And, and Albon maximized it, the pit crews maximized it, and then they got into the race and they run, ran the optimum strategy for them and managed to hang on. And I, and I think hang on is, is the right word because I think anything goes wrong there and they, they drop down back the grid. So this is a really good, positive performance from Williams and they were able to, to, to go to that track where they knew their car would be best suited and get points. So all of that is a roundabout way to come back to say Ferrari, <laughs> this... This is, it's a similar story for Ferrari is all I'm saying, Meg. So it's not like don't expect them to turn up at Singapore and then suddenly that, there's that same advantage, you know. And, 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 and conversely, look at Aston Martin and Mercedes relatively struggled here because they are draggier cars. They're always near the bottom of the speed traps, but that's not what they're going for. They're going for a car that can get through the race, look after the tires, give you that good race pace. I think what I was most impressed by with Ferrari this weekend wasn't even necessarily their speed, but they just seemed to stay within themselves in a high pressure home race situation, not make any mistakes. They had, you know, they had a very, very fast car, like you said, in qualifying. It was really wonderful to see, you know, Carlos, Charles and Max all come across the line within, you know, a second of each other and all kind of be jumping around at the, at the end of Q3. That was so much fun. But also they just kind of seemed to do everything right and they were able to let their drivers fight at the end without something catastrophic happening, which I will say was a little <laughs> bit lucky because there were a couple of lockups at the end there that I was yeah. convinced Charles was going to skate right into the back of Carlos and take both of them out. Um which was mildly terrifying, I'm sure, if you're a Ferrari fan. But both of those drivers seemed happy that they got to fight in the end. And granted, I don't think you can really make a team order uh, when there's there's a podium finish going on. But, um, you know, Charles had a quote at the end where he said, I personally really enjoyed racing Carlos. This is what racing should be all the time. This reminds me of karting days and we are both on the limit. So it sounds Mm. like they both came out of this weekend uh, feeling positive after a rough weekend in Zandvoort. And I just hope that they're able to, you know, they won't be able to match this pace going forward, but they did, you know, take third in the constructors this weekend. And I think this is a positive step for a team that really, really needed something right. good to happen. You, you've shone your positive light. Now, now let me, <laughs> let me have a take. Do it. So, Do it. I, I don't know. It just feels like th- two, three times out of ten, that battle at the end results into Ferraris making some yes. kind of, of contact. So it was high risk. And, you know, um, there's, a, there's a fish in the ocean that gets uh, hunted by dolphins. And, like, say there's a hundred of the fish, they, all, they, they see a dolphin coming and they, they all bury themselves under the, under the seabed. The dolphin comes along, uses sonar to pick out where the fish are, easily picks out fish until it's full, and then swims away. And then, like, 95 fish come up and go, oh, yeah. Oh, that's a great tactic, that. That's a brilliant... <laughs> we should always definitely do that when dolphins come. Go under the seabed. It's definitely worked. And that's how I feel that Ferrari have come out of today. They've both popped up safe, not having been eaten by the dolphin this time, and gone, oh, it was really, really good that our home Grand Prix, we risked a home podium by going absolutely hammer and tongs against each other. I, At some point, as a team boss, they must have been considering whether or not to say, yeah, just bring it home, guys, bring it home. It would have been a vastly unpopular decision. I'm glad they didn't do it. It was brilliant to see them race, but the only reason they're happy is because they got away with it. It's still a a less than minimal percentage risk for no overall team reward. 
So whatever happened in that battle, the points were the same. And I, I, Carlos Sainz was certainly calling for yes, the team to say, let's was. bring it home. We need to bring <laughs> it home. All right, let's do the alternate universe version where you're in fourth, Mr. Sainz. And do you then, you know, go and come on the radio and go, this is silly. Let's just, let's just bring it home. Of course not. He was saying the thing that, that suited him. It, it was lovely to see them fight, but my goodness, heart in, heart in mouth time. It was for sure. And and they did come on the radio going into the final lap and they didn't tell them not to race, but they said something along the lines of no risk. So it was sort of like, like you guys can go at each other, but just like no risk. Okay. And at that point, both of their, all of their tires were basically bald because they'd both locked up so many times. So there's not a whole lot of control. You can have a sword fight, but no stabbing. Absolutely no stabbing. But here we go. Sword fight. Begin. A little bit on the strategy though. Yes. I did feel like it was in no man's land. So from an absolute cold, hard, pragmatic point of view, you let Max Verstappen go at the very earliest opportunity and maximize your stints to, to hope to hold off Perez towards the end. That's, that's probably the maximum strategy. Nobody would want them to do that. It probably mm-hmm. would not occur to them to do that. We would, I would be outraged. Right now, had they done that, I'd have yeah. been outraged saying, how dare they capitulate to, to Red Bull? It's but that tanking. probably would have been, yeah, that probably would have been the, the, the smartest move, move on the cold, hard maths. The second move that I would have wanted them to do is then to go, right, we've got 2v1 with, with Verstappen. Verstappen is being held up by Carlos Sainz. They had 14 laps of that, maybe lap 10. Leclerc goes for an undercut. Yeah, Verstappen can't get by because the tyres haven't gone off the cliff yet. So you've got four laps worth of undercut. Then, then you're Christian Horner, Meg. You're Christian Horner. In that situation, the clerk's gone in. You can see that Sainz can maybe hold on for another four, five, six laps. It's, it's, they've got big top speed, so you can't, can't get past them. Do you cover the clerk or do you keep fighting Sainz? It's early for a pit stop, remember? It is early to come off the hards. I Love would this. say cover Leclerc. Ah, oh, there you go. Cover Leclerc, and then they're both out on mediums with mm-hmm. 41 laps to go. And hards. signs, yes, he will. Fo- they, they'd be on the hards. That's right. They'd be on hards, 41 laps to go. And signs would probably come out with seven laps fresher tires. So that's your, you know, that's, that's where you can put. Red Bull in a difficult position and they yeah, didn't true. they didn't do that and as soon as Verstappen got past they then didn't immediately pit which went th- once they didn't immediately pit they had then decided to settle for for you know third and fourth except they were much more vulnerable to Perez than than having had done that having, than, than if they had done that from the beginning so that's why I think that tactic the way they went about it was a, a no man's land it was in between you know either fight 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 go for it Pit signs uh, as soon as he lo- loses the lead. See if you can inconvenience and, and hang on or do something with Leclerc. Uh, you know, but they didn't do kind of either end. They, they p- were somewhere in the muddy middle and then obviously lost to Perez and then fought each other to the death for the last podium. You kind of go, ooh, all very entertaining, but would, would you do that every time? It is difficult though, because I think if you hit Leclerc first, you're sort of de facto giving him the better or preferential strategy because then he's undercutting Carlos who has the lead 
in a race. And I think you're inviting a lot of driver drama if you do yeah, that. But yeah, but I yeah, am yeah, with yeah. you. If they really wanted to, as they always say, you know, race as a team and we're not one driver and no driver ahead of each other, then then maybe you do try to do that. Yeah. Easy from the sofa, isn't it? Easy from the sofa to say. And by the way, that is baked in. Like, we absolutely know that we're sitting here yelling from the sofa. That is mm-hmm. that is a feature, not a bug. Okay, so if we come across, <laughs> if I come across as an armchair pundit, that is on purpose. And as far as I'm concerned, my sole reason for being here. As soon as you said to me, you're Christian Horner, I got, I started to sweat a little bit. I was like, oh God, <laughs> that's the last thing I would ever want to be is Christian Horner. That seems like a terrible job. this episode is brought to you by armor all when you want the best for your car preparation is everything that's why teams like oracle red bull racing use armor all to prep their team vehicles from interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner armor all america's number one trusted auto appearance brand has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out and get this Now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Moving on to Mercedes strategy, they had they had did some some very interesting stuff with Lewis in this race, starting him out on the hards. It was fascinating to hear um, Bradley Lord, who I think is Mercedes communications director, talking to the commentators at the start of this race about the strategy and why they decided to do it. And he basically admitted that it was something of a gamble, more, more of it. I think he would have called it like an educated gamble or a gamble based on, you know, uh, statistics and, and timing and things. Um, but they decided to send Lewis out on the hards, make him kind of eat his vegetables early on in the race and then be quick on a second stint on mediums when everyone else would be on the tougher compound. Um, For a while, it looked like this may not work out. They pitted Lewis, I believe it was lap 27 or 28. He had some pretty high degradation on the hard tires, but then had about 23 laps to go, 22 laps to go on the mediums. And he came out of the gate, you know, immediately complaining that they were going to have to go to the end on this (laughs) tire, which is, you know, classic Lewis. Um, but it, it ended up working out. He ended up holding off Lando Norris. He got past Alex Albon and eventually got past Oscar Piastri as well, even though he got himself a five second penalty for a minor collision there, but that didn't really end up mattering with the timing. He went from eighth to sixth. Um, and and it worked out, you know, I think, I feel like that was sort of the best probably Mm. outcome that they could have hoped for with, at least with Lewis on the day. 
Maybe. Yeah. So, is it Bradley Lord? Is there PR guy? Yeah. Yeah, it seems like that is such a good move, putting a proper PR guy out in that. I know <laughs> from a kind of, you know, sexy TV point of view, yeah, let's speak to Gunter Steiner or uh, Schaffenauer, who are utterly distracted by the race. And the last thing they probably <laughs> need to do is be speaking, you know, to the to the TV camera. So he does a really mm-hmm. great job communicating stuff. And his job is to is to his whole job is to take what the team is doing and 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 put it out to the world in a concise way. And I I think I prefer that approach on the pit wall than speaking to like a super under pressure team boss. Sure. You, you can interview sure. them later. You've got the whole you know broadcast and the whole weekend to speak to those guys. So I mm-hmm. I feel like that's a good move. What you lose from that is you know they're not really in the the strategic mindset and then communicating that straight out. There's a there's a PR layer to it. So yeah. it made it seem like that uh, Hamilton was going to pull a George Russell and basically stay on those hards until lap 48, hoping for a safety car cheap stop. But uh, was it, it was the last race, wasn't it? I said, when I see Hamilton on some, a di- completely different tyre to the rest <laughs> yes. of the grid, I don't go, ooh, look at the exciting possibilities ahead. I go, oh no, why have they done that? Why are they on the hard tyre? <laughs> and so my immediate instinct is, Hamilton's not like I don't think he's got a particular reputation for being lightning fast off of the off of the line, no. and then you're on the hards, and that costs you like um, eight meters or something they say, or four meters, or, or you know a grid slot's worth of 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 grip off the line, and and you go, oh, well, he's going to be stuck behind the McLaren. So yeah, he lost a position to to Norris, I think, ends yeah. up in P nine, and now you're stuck behind this train of a. A fast Williams at Monza who, yeah, he might be slow through the corners, but it doesn't matter because as long as he can get traction out of the corner, he's going to be unovertakeable down the straights. And then you've got the DRS train. He was about 0.6, 0.7 behind Norris for 21 laps. And you go, okay, well, what, what's the payoff? What was the payoff to losing out to a McLaren going a grid position down? It has to be going super long. That's one payoff. And then, so you're hoping for a safety car window. They pitted seven laps after the McLarens. So that's a very short safety car window. So if your whole strategy was, okay, we're going to get an incident between laps 21 and 28. And that's a very kind of low gamble. The cost was staying, being stuck in that train for 21 laps. And then by the time they, they all pitted, he didn't have mega pace on those hards or anything. Uh, all he was doing was making sure he did enough laps that he could get through the rest of the race on the mediums. To so go, okay, well then the other payoff is that you're on the mediums when everyone else is on the hard. So are you going to, you know, chew up that ground in front? They took a long time warming the tires up. He came out of the pit stop on the mediums, then five seconds behind that battle. So he lost five seconds staying out on the hards. Did his pit stop. Came comes out five seconds behind, and for a long time they're not making up the the pace. And and Bradley Lord came on and said, well they're 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 getting the tyres in gently and waiting for the other cars to, to drop off, which they, they did. And mm-hmm. he managed eventually to get through that, that chain and back to where he would have been, I think, if they had just put the mediums on and gone racing. So like, he was all the way up behind Norris in a DRS train and, and couldn't pass, but he was all the way there. I find it hard to believe that if that was medium versus medium and not behind Norris, but behind Piastri and, and Albon, that he wouldn't have had a, a better chance to, to get past them. So it, it feels like they did all of that strategy, all of that fighting to end up back at where they would have been at a baseline if they'd have just 
strapped the mediums on and and just gone for it and and just go racing properly and like no one else did that alternate strategy except for Bottas. So it always feels like if you have to do the harder tire go longer tactic it's because things went wrong on Saturday. And at the moment with Hamilton things are just going wrong on Saturday after Saturday after Saturday. Yeah, it it does all go back to qualifying. You're right on that. I I do think with the hard tire you give yourself more options in a race where undercutting is is key. And, and by taking away the fact that you're all changing over around the same time, it takes away a little bit less risk in that perspective. I, I guess I come away relatively positive on it because I don't think he would have finished higher than sixth, even if he had started on the mediums, yeah. unless he gets a great jump going off on the start, which who knows? I mean, that, that turn one is so tricky. Maybe he could have gotten past a few guys who are being a little more cautious. Or, or... certainly not lose or not lose out. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Right, right. But yeah, it was interesting. Um, we got a great George Russell radio message early on in the race about, uh, you know, them asking him to look after his tires into turn six and him saying that he had another car right up on his behind. Interesting that, isn't it? But the thing is, again, again, he was never going to win that battle. Like, Right. Russell thought right. he was going to hold off Perez. So that's what he thought. He thought he was going to hold off Perez. I don't think anyone else thought he was going to hold off Perez. So maybe his team was kind of saying, they can't go, mate, George, let him go. They can't go, <laughs> let's just give up on that over the team radio. But again, you know, he would have been net better off. He wouldn't have had that that thing with Ocon, you know, if he'd have just let Perez go in and, and tucked in. But it's not very racery, is it? So I think the, the racing instinct was there from Russell was probably correct. I, I was going to say, I like, I get that these guys probably think differently than, than maybe you and I do and have a different <laughs> mindset. Yeah. But at some point, Mercedes just has to say, George, your race is not with Red Bull. It's never going to be with Red Bull. The irrational confidence has to stop at some point because it's just not happening. Um, yeah. Last Mercedes thing I wanted to talk about was what Lewis said over the weekend about his teammates versus Max's teammates. Did uh. you see this quote? <laughs> oh, my God. It was... I've got I've got a question for you after this as well. Okay. But yeah, I saw the quote. Okay. He said basically all my teammates are better than Verstappen's teammates. Yes, he said so, in my personal uh, opinion, all of my teammates have been stronger than the teammates Max has had and then he went on to list, you know, Jensen Button, Fernando Alonso, Nico Rosberg, George Valtteri Bottas, which was a, you know, you have to include him because he raced against him for so long, but maybe not the strongest case. Um and and I don't disagree with Lewis, like that's a, a very very stacked list. But the funniest part to me is that in saying this, he is basically taking shots at about a third of the current Formula One grid. <laughs> so you Do have them? <laughs> Daniel Ricciardo, Pierre Gasly, Carlos Sainz, Checo, and Alex Albon. That's five drivers. Five drivers that you are perhaps inadvertently saying are, you know, not worth very much. So <laughs> just uh, fascinating. Uh, it was a really oh, yeah. interesting choice from him. Firstly, so unnecessary. Like, where did that even come from? Uh, so I upset my fellow Lewis Hamilton fans because I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan. But I think, mm-hmm. A, I don't think it's right necessarily. So so you can you can sit there and go, right, are Hamilton's teammates better than Verstappen's teammates? You, 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 sure. you can put it up like that. Uh, and you could go, right, who's had the strong... Because he made a very extreme end of that, which is I've always had very hard, difficult teammates. He's always had rubbish teammates therefore you know that that's therefore i'm better somehow um, right. so so that's the we can go into that that's the less interesting thing i think the most interesting thing is that he's sort of pointing out a bit of a flaw in how he's gone about his f1 political 
career because mm. you you don't want to have brilliant teammates. <laughs> you want to be controlling. You want to you want to have a team that's so based around you that you either have rubbish teammates, have a say in who can be your teammate, have a compliant number two, or have the team so around you that anyone who enters your your den gets made to look ordinary. So that's not a good thing, Hamilton. That is that's a that's a bad <laughs> thing. Schumacher wouldn't have let that happen. You know, Prost really campaigned to to make sure uh, at some point he was like he blocked Senna coming in. You know, if you if you've got a team around you and and you've got yourself into that good political position, you don't want to be head to head with Rosberg, Alonso, Button, and um, Russell even. So yeah. Look at Verstappen's teammates. They are not ordinary. They were made to look ordinary in that specific position. Even Sergio Perez, right? He's won nine races. He, mm-hmm. No, wait, he's got nine podiums, I think, before he went to Red Bull. That's not an ordinary driver. He is quite the driver, Sergio Perez. Carlos Sainz, yeah, yeah on, on, on the out-and-out qualifying pace of, of Leclerc, he's not looking, like, amazing. But look, he, he stacked up against... Lando Norris, no one mm-hmm. thinks Lando Norris is bad. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo is probably, you know, the weakest of the bunch that we're going to say here, actually, on, on record. But Pierre Gasly, I'm a huge fan of, of Gasly and Albon's looking great at the moment now. Yeah. So I think objectively he's wrong. And also, like, tough. Like, that feel, kind of feels like your fault. Now, I said that to my, my buddy. Uh, I said, oh, it was Alex Van Jean. And he said, yeah, but... Uh, but Lewis doesn't want preferential treatment. He wants. He wants to go racing. He wants the. He wants it to you know to, to sort of drive with honor. And you go, all right. But then that's that's the decision you've made, then, isn't it? Like you well, should then, be then lobbying. Then he's just a masochist because then he's just making <laughs> yes. it harder on himself on an everyday yeah. everyday level. Yeah. Um, I, I, so yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think either way, it speaks more to Lewis's career yeah. than it does to Matt. But mostly, it just felt really unnecessary. Like right now, you just go, "Why? Why have you done that?" So I, anyway, I tweeted all that out, and my fellow Hamilton fans were very, very unhappy with me. But yeah, you, 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 you know, um, I don't think I think Button doesn't blow that list of Verstappen's teammates away. Neither does Kovalainen. Neither does Bottas. So yeah, he has had some good teammates and he beat yeah. Alonso on on a TKO, on a technical knockout in 2007, looked uh, mostly on top of Nico Rosberg. Um but that's I don't I don't think I don't think actually it's that impressive a a roster. Well, I'm going to upset everyone. Email Meg, <laughs> don't email me. <laughs> well, and it's also interesting too because you know Obviously, Lewis is older, and so most of his teammates are older, and some of them have concluded their careers. Some are on the back end of their careers. So we've seen sort of the height and the peak of all of Lewis's teammates, but Max's teammates are all so young that it's like, this list could be totally different, you know, five, eight years from now. And granted, you know, Max and Red Bull look like they're set up to dominate for quite some time, but in another time where that Red Bull car isn't so out and out ahead, this may look very, very different with how these te- these former teammates will do. So the last thing I would say on that is if, it, if he thought he was insulting Verstappen, I, he's not. I think like he's complimenting Verstappen. He's going, yeah. look at Max's teammates and how well he's controlled his ascent and how well Team Verstappen <laughs> has done managing his career and path to Formula One. And they put up with an awful lot of years in the wilderness, waiting patiently yeah. for this opportunity. And by the time the Red Bull dominance came along, he was also dominating the inter-team situation. Like, well done. Hats off. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a big, big plus to, to Camp Verstappen. 
Yeah. So really a lot of hidden compliments in in that quote, I think. Um, yeah, which which is funny because I feel like Lewis is typically very careful about what he says regarding Max in the media. And th- this was yeah, yeah an unnecessary own goal. It seemed I really think. unguarded and unne- unnecessary. I've got a question for you, Meg. If we're going to yeah. fire back one last Mercedes thing, uh, yes. whose fault was the Piastri-Hamilton contact? Um, you're going to be upset with me, but I think it was Lewis's fault. I don't think well, Oscar had anywhere to go. I'm going to be upset because I'm so bog-eyed. I'm such a bog-eyed Hamilton fan <laughs> that he can do no wrong. Is that it? No, but just uh, I I did message you about it, and I think you had expected them to not come back with a penalty for it. So that I was had, what yeah. I was what I no, was curious no, no. about. So, so the the president the precedent is 2019 with Charles Leclerc actually on Lewis Hamilton at the same corner, and I would say Leclerc's car position and and uh, in 2019 and Hamilton's car position today were probably near enough identical. The 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 how far alongside the car on the outside was very very similar as well. It's a very common pinch point there because, you know, they, they swing out from Curva Grande and then mm-hmm. they move back over to, to the right. And if you can't see a car alongside you and then you kind of you, you sort of move back to your racing line and, and there's a bit of a it's, it's a little bit gray about where you go. Well, it, the, there's a big curb to the right. So surely if I leave them enough room to be on the curb, then that's OK. But then mm-hmm. that curb starts sort of uh, a hard line and then there's grass behind it. So if you if you shove them off too early, they're on grass and that looks worse. And then so when Hamilton was pushed off, he stayed mostly out of the way, although their wheels did interlock. And then Leclerc got a warning, a black and white flag. Mm-hmm. So Hamilton did more or less the same thing. Maybe uh, Piastri didn't move over as much and I think he's entitled to hold his ground. Uh, but this is a five second penalty. So it's clear that the result or something influenced yes. whether it's a penalty or not the drivers did the same thing Leclerc 2019 Hamilton 2022 uh, 2023 where's the time going did did the same thing but the penalty was different the outcome was different in my opinion both of those should be a penalty so i want to see consistency and i think if it's mm-hmm. a black and white flag for Leclerc there it should be the same for Hamilton but i'm i'm a big fan of always leave room always leave space sure so sure. i think both should be a penalty, and I just want some consistency. I think the interesting thing is, if you're Piastri's coach, what do you say to him about those two laps leading up to it? Because he lost points. So he was in the points, on for a really strong performance, was ahead of Norris for the vast majority of that race, and then you go, that corner was done. It was done. You weren't going to hold it around the outside. Yes, you're entitled to room, <laughs> but the result, if you'd have, you were going to always lose that corner. So why not? You know, lift, let him come. All, he didn't even come all the way back across, but let him have that that space. And I'd have said the same to Hamilton in that that one against Leclerc as well. Let him have the space, continue on. The result mm-hmm. was going to be the same. You weren't hanging on to to that position from there where they where they were. He was mostly alongside on the inside. Most races would go. Yes, Hamilton had that corner. Um, if you were in a spec series in go karts or something, you would let them go all day long and then try and fight back. But in F1, you kind of know you're not going to get that chance to fight back. Um, Do you have an equivalent in the US of the UK zebra crossing where there's like a stripey thing on the ground and if you stand at the side of the road, the car is obliged to stop and let you go across? What's that called? What do you call it? Uh, well, we call it a crosswalk, but it a basically pe- pedestrians are, yeah. are have the right of way. Have the right of way, yeah. Yes. So, you know, there's a great series uh, from the 90s here in the UK called The British Empire, well worth finding and watching it with Chris Barry playing the the uh, the head of a, a leisure centre. So it was like, it's like The Office, but 20 years ago and in a leisure centre. There's this, okay. this great scene where 
you know, he got injured by by walking across a zebra crossing because it was his right of way and the, the <laughs> truck came and hit him and they go and right. visit him in the hospital and they go, why didn't you just wait for the truck to go past? <laughs> well, it was my right of way. So you kind of, that's how I see kind of piastri in that situation. You go, oh, if you did it again, maybe mm-hmm. like the corner's gone. Yes, you are entitled to room, but had you just lifted a tiny bit, you'd be massively in the points today. It did feel a little bit like a rookie kind of trying to stand his ground and being a big, you know, tough driver going up against Lewis Hamilton when in, in another life, maybe three years from now, he, uh, you know, lets it out a little bit and realizes that it's not worth losing all of those, <laughs> all of those points. Someone tweeted to me and say, said, is he making a statement that, <laughs> that now all drivers know he's going to hold his ground? And right, I think if they, right. were, if they were more side by side, I think that would have been relevant, but it was really more or sure. less, you know, he's just keeping his nose in. Go, it felt like a low percentage position to be in, but mm-hmm. I always, always, to be clear, Whichever driver it is, whichever way round it is, I always think the driver should have room on the entry and exit. I've been outvoted by the FIA because apparently <laughs> I don't have a, I don't have any kind of influence apparently. But mm. on the outside now, if you own, if you own the corner, if you've won the corner at the apex, you're allowed to just shove someone off track. Yeah. I yeah. don't agree with that, but certainly on the inside, there's no argument. You should definitely leave some space on the inside. Had there been concrete runoff instead of grass, I don't think anyone would argue with someone having to use a bit of the concrete. So it gets a bit of a gray area there. But the lap before, Piastri defended very hard without being able to stay on the track and ran Hamilton off wide and he himself ran off wide. And I was very surprised that that wasn't investigated, but I have to have Mm. another look at that. But all day long for me, you know, that should have been a penalty for for Piastri as well. So just a bit of consistency. That's all I want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fair enough, fair enough. Was that a good run? Or was that too much? It was. No, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I like a feisty Spanners. Um, I feel like we're running into some post-mortem time, perhaps, for the seasons of Alfa Romeo and Haas. Oh, mate. Sorry. And well, Haas is going to hurt you more, isn't it? Like, if you've got some, you know, some chest-beating US pride there. No. You know what? I There was a time when I thought we were going to get the first Logan Sargent point of the year, and I was about to come on the pod playing the US National Anthem. <laughs> I, it might I happen. Was, he was happen? he was close for a while there at the end. Ended up finishing eleventh, and I was I was watching that more closely than I was watching anything happening at the front. Uh, were so you, we're gonna come on with flags and just flags. I, I was I was gonna be more obnoxious than you've ever seen me. So <laughs> maybe it's for the best that that didn't happen. Um, but yes, yeah, as, as far as the back of the grid goes, it just looks like Alpha and Haas especially should should probably pack things up and, and start looking ahead to next season if they haven't been already. Neither mm. car has really even a decent qualifying pace at this point, at least when it comes to the speedier tracks. Haas has not scored a point in five races. Alpha got one sort of lucky point today with Valtteri, but before that had had a five-race points drought as well. Um, It doesn't seem like much change is coming, at least from a driver perspective. Both Haas drivers have been re-signed for 2024. Um, But it's, it's still been disappointing to see things go this wrong for the teams after last season. Alpha finished sixth last year, which seems like decades ago. They had 55 points last year, which I can hardly remember. Um, And Haas was eighth and had, you know, a semi-respectable 37 points last year. This season, they have 10 and 11, respectively, with eight races to go, and it doesn't really seem like anything is improving there. Um, What do you make of, of these teams? Uh, okay, I'll tread carefully, given that we're US based here. So, so yeah. So the, the, the most disappointing one there is is Haas because 
Do you always feel like maybe they've got that potential to to go to go forward? If you look at their driver lineup, you go, well, it's it's a it's a, f- a midfield driver lineup. Those are two brilliant, yes. you know, uh, journeyman drivers, and and I think they're great, and they would fit into any midfield team. But they haven't gone for a superstar, and they haven't kind of split it between a superstar and a, a you know an up and coming driver. They haven't mm-hmm. gone for uh, they haven't gone for a pay driver to to their credit, which I think is yep. is great. So they haven't gone pro am like certain other midfield Aston Martins. I mean teams. So <laughs> I. I can respect that I feel like Haas are actually going racing. So it hasn't landed and they fully turned their attention to, to next season. And that's mm-hmm. fine. And they might even sort of be trying to, you know, looking ahead now and kind of going, well, yeah, 2026 might be the real thing to, to pour you yeah. know, time and attention to. But yeah, yeah, it's just not, it's not gone well. Whatever They're lacking something that pushes them forward. I don't know what it is, but that is disappointing. I think Alfa Romeo is probably a little bit more straightforward. So Alfa Romeo isn't really Alfa Romeo. This is the closest situation we've got to a customer team in F1. Mm-hmm. So this is the Sauber outfit. And, and to make that team work financially, I guess, they then you know, take a title sponsor, paint, paint the car in Alfa Romeo colours. And that doesn't mean that the personnel there aren't going racing and aren't trying to do their best. But I think that is slightly different from you know, a, a garageista type movie. I don't think they're going to make... Sauber slash Alfa Romeo F1 the movie. I don't, I don't think that's coming. It's not a very romantic story. And, and essentially, it's changing hands to Audi now. So they kind of know yes. this time is up. And then they're looking towards Audi. So I think that's less surprising. They're, they're maybe, maybe they're just kind of, you know, they, they're, they're turning up. I'm sure everyone's trying. But as an organization, maybe that motivation kind of isn't there. Maybe that security isn't there. I don't know what the relationship is with Audi. I don't really know if it's a rebadge or whether they are coming in and saying, thank you, Sauber, for your time. We'll take it from here. I suspect it's very much the same outfit going going forward uh, as, as it is this year. So they need a lot more support than they're getting. Even with the cost cap, I think they're, they're still at a massive disadvantage. And if you look at their lineup for next season, I think they're still talking about which, which pay driver not whether to unwilliams sure. themselves. Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, the last team in this sort of category that I would like to talk about is Alpine. And I know that you have thoughts. Um <laughs> it's tough to it's tough to come down on them so hard this weekend because we got a yes. you know a Pierre Gasly podium last weekend in Zamvort, which was so, so thrilling. But this just showed was very emblematic of how unpredictable and up and down this team has been all season. It feels like one week they have, you know, both drivers in the points and look to be progressing. And then the the next week they get a DNF, you know, like we had here, Ocon DNF'd. Pierre Gasly finished 16th and neither really looked like much of a factor all weekend. Out Um, in Q1, out in Q1, engine, 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 engine. So this is it. I mean, all all through the hybrid era, Renault have, Alpine slash Renault, have have struggled with like out and out engine power. They've looked like, apart from Honda, they've looked like the worst engine pretty much at every point. They had no reliability 2014, 2015, and then they just look like they've been down on power. Yeah, they've caught up a little bit, uh, but yeah, I, 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 it's not a surprise you come to like a pure power track and, and they're, not, they're not there. So yeah, a very track-specific car. At Alpine, you've got to say pound for pound, ambition versus results. Then they're near the bottom, really, of, of the F1 teams at the moment. You know, you look at Aston Martin... In a, in a similar position, 
and and what a great leap forward they've made, mm-hmm. and they've probably got a, a better all round car than Alpine, which is a really good kind of achievement. But then you know you look at all the heads rolling at Alpine and the instability yep. and the infighting, and you go, that's not probably not a healthy environment at the moment. So they need to you know settle down, you know, and see what they could do because that team's got as much potential under the cost, cost under the cost cap as as any of the top teams, but it's it's just not there and. I think they've got two good drivers. I think they've got one great mm-hmm. driver and one good driver. Yeah. I mean, I fully expected them coming into this season to be fighting with McLaren and Aston Martin. I mean, granted, this was before Aston Martin made leaps and bounds and, you know, crazy whatever they had going on during the first half of the season. But it, it really felt like that was, you know, the upper mid-tier field that they were going to be in. And and now they've just, they look completely lost and you know, Oscar Piastri looks to have made the the right move with McLaren, which was interesting yes. given how McLaren started well, this season too. Yeah. They well, have well, almost well, well. flip-flopped in their directions, which is pretty fascinating. So McLaren made that big step forward and it, it seems to have been kind of sustained a, a little. Um, Monza, Monza aside, it seems to have mm-hmm. been sustained. But I think there's going to be a bit of a kerfuffle with these flexible wings. So there's there's some flexible wing stuff coming out, coming out at the moment. And it's McLaren seems to have benefited the most. And I think that big leap mm. forward was by unlocking you know, the limit of the regulations with how much these wings can flex, giving them all the advantages of downforce, but without the disadvantage of them on the, on the straight. And I think something big is brewing at the moment where perhaps uh, some teams are going to get protested for, for running certain flexible wings. But I've heard varying reports. You know, some people think every team out there is technically illegal at the moment. So it's just <laughs> going to take one team to change their wing and go, hang on a minute. Uh, the other nine cars are running illegal. Mm-hmm. So my fear would be for McLaren that if across the board, they all have to go and revert to uh, legal front wings, then it might hurt McLaren more than the, more than the other mm-hmm. teams. But at the moment, yeah, they certainly look the pick of the, of the midfield. They do. They do. They've really come on strong lately. Anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? Uh, just to say uh, Lawson beat Sonoda again. So that's that's 2-0. Well, 2-0 Lawson. Mean, that wasn't really, this wasn't really Yuki's <laughs> fault. It was. Guy, until, this, it, is, this is the it, second yeah. time this has happened to him in Monza, right? Like second in three races or something that Yuki's DNS oh, at know. Monza. He has, he has very, very bad luck in Italy, which is tough mm, considering his team know. is currently based I, in Italy. I think you're being too slack. You have to start looking at Sonoda's outlap performance and asking, you know, is he cut out for outlaps? <laughs> maybe he can, maybe get someone, you know, a youngster in to do his outlap for him. He's overheating the engine on his outlap. It's it's all his yeah. fault. Poor guy. Pure bad luck, of course. But it was bad luck as well. I have to say, I was a little bit disappointed how the media kept pushing the Lawson beat Sonoda at mm. Zandvoort. You know, Sonoda was clearly the faster driver on, on race pace and he got abandoned on the tyres in that middle stint. Yes. I think they forgot yes. about him, you know, and then, and then he made a mistake at the end. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's all very positive. Look, Lawson got through this weekend anonymously pretty much, which is, yeah. I think that's great. <laughs> I think pretty he great. in mid season. <laughs> if no one's talking about you really after the second race, bang on, well done. It's, it's two very solid, very respectable results in a row, which is more than, uh, certain other rookies on the grid can say. So there you go. Liam Lawson coming for you in 2024 somewhere. Who knows? And apparently they've been really pessimistic about Ricardo's recovery now. So whilst he might have technically been able to drive at Singapore, I think that uh, it might have been Marco 
uh, saying something like along the lines of because it's Singapore and it's a very uh, hard track yeah. physically, yeah. that then wouldn't be the appropriate track for him mm. to come back. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he misses uh, Japan and Singapore. Sure, sure. So more Lawson to come. Can't wait. So thrilled. Uh, thank you, Spanners, for joining us. Thanks to Eduardo Ocampo for the production help. And thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been the Ringer F1 show. We will be back very soon. Bye.